Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a 20-minute high-intensity episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the themes of the day. Today on our agenda is WeWork, the rise and fall of the co-working unicorn, our perspectives from Alex Pudisi, our local co-working entrepreneur, the founder of Work Nicer, where we get into a deep conversation on why, why did it happen, what impact did it have, what can we learn from it, and the future of co-working in Alberta. Thank you for joining me on Collisions YYC, Current and Critical. I'm sitting here with Alex Pudisi, and we're talking about what is current and critical. And what's on the agenda today's conversation, folks, is WeWork. So before we get into that, you may have heard of it. If you haven't, we're going to hear a little bit of the story today. If you've been paying attention to the news at all in the last couple of weeks, you've heard it's, it's quite the yarn that's being spun out there. So Alex, give us a little bit of uh, who you are and the role you play, and, and, we'll, and we'll dive into the content from there. Cool. Yeah. Uh, four years ago, I started a co-working community here in Calgary called WorkNicer. WorkNicer has grown to be the uh, Alberta's number one co-working community. We have three outposts here in Calgary and one in Edmonton and just expanded into another floor of a building in August, I believe. And the whole idea of WorkNicer is that no one succeeds alone. So yes, this is workspace and yes, this is office and these office basics, but really this journey of entrepreneurship, Small business, remote work can be super lonely sometimes. And really the whole idea is be around other people that are going through the same thing that you are. And how many members do you have? Uh, I think we're closing in on 600, 550, 600. Congratulations. And has it been a pretty steady growth for you guys in terms of like... Has it been a? If I graphed it out, is it is it moving up or has it been a bit all ups and down? Uh, no, it's always been moving up. Yeah, yeah we've excellent. never we've never taken a step back over like probably even month over month, but certainly you know quarter or year over year, it's always been growing. It's you know, and you and I, I'll be a little blatant plug. I've had you on the podcast before, and they just <laughs> get it where we talked a little bit about your story and how you got there, and that's why I want to have you on today because this has hit my radar, and I'm not sure if you don't know about WeWork. I would say certainly from my perspective, and I'm going to give my version of who I think they are, and please chime in here. Of they were the first ones that really got on my radar. I think it was on uh, How I Built This, Guy Raz. Yeah. Podcast talked about them. They've been around since, I think, 2010, nine years, nine years ago. Started off in New York City, I believe, in Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. No, exactly it's New York. I'm not sure exactly sure where. It doesn't yeah. matter. Interesting. It was a opportunity at the time where there was a bunch of retail space available because it would have been right after the downturn, 2008, 2009. So coming out of 2010, yep. there's space available. These guys saw an opportunity to create co-working. It wasn't shared office space. It was co-working. That's how it was presented when I heard the idea. Yeah. Startup, all of a sudden they caught fire. I'm not sure when it really went, but let's just fast forward. Nine years later, they hit a, uh, an evaluation of $47 billion. That's the number I heard. That's, that's, the, fire, that's the biggest number I could find that out there. That was the biggest number, yeah. That was like their most recent round with, uh, uh, with SoftBank, which is their largest investor, at, yeah, at a $47 billion valuation. And that was, as of 2019, I, what I found was 836 locations. And the big number, what did I find in terms of square footage? It was something crazy like 5.9... Um, um, oh yeah, no, different. Something like 4 million square meters of space that they managed at their peak. Uh, I don't know what that is in square feet. I know, it was weird. I I know why the square meters threw me off and I didn't do the conversion. I know, in Canada, it doesn't make sense, but we always deal in feet. But yeah, they're they're huge. I think that that location number that you mentioned is probably uh, open locations and locations under prospect. Oh, interesting. I don't think that's totally open. Uh, But yeah, they're the largest... uh, occupier of office space in uh, like London, 
New York, and I think Boston That's as well. Those are some of the most expensive real estate markets in the world as well, or right up there. Uh, absolutely, right? And they have they occupy more. Like So if you took out um, public companies, I think it was, uh, in terms of office occupy, okay. like, like space yep. that they take in New York, they would occupy one quarter of what's left. Wow, on a glo- on a global. No, well, that's in New York specifically. Okay, okay, so New York. Yeah, I'm blowing but still, this up right? Bigger. New that York is significant. Is, yeah, it, New York's. Yeah, it's crazy. Interesting. Forty-seven billion, and what the latest evaluation I saw for them was five billion. I think, yeah, I think it was rumored to be going as low as five, but SoftBank just threw in a whole bunch of money, and I think, think it's at an eight billion dollar valuation. So I think the from, from forty-seven billion. Yeah. I heard another number was Financial Times said that currently or recently, I'm not sure when the time in the last couple of months, they were losing two hundred nineteen thousand dollars an hour. An hour. Yes. Yep. So that put it into perspective. So curious. I'm assuming these guys have been on your radar from early days. Were they a source of inspiration for you, or were they a proof of concept that you look to? No, to be honest, I when we opened, I didn't even know about them. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, it's, oh, I would have assumed. So that's interesting <laughs> to put that out there. I know it's. I've never really mentioned that before, and it's kind of it's it's almost embarrassing in a way. I'm like, okay. oh, I should know about this, but I'm also glad that I didn't because uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know what that if that would have impacted my decision or not. But okay. you know, shortly after, certainly, and I've been following them quite closely ever since. But especially throughout this most recent scenario for them. Okay, that's interesting. Because again, th- we didn't talk about that last time. But again, I assumed, which is always dangerous, that there was some type of a tie there or some type of like, oh, wow, I guess this isn't a crazy idea. So you went at it more because you believed in it. Totally. And it's not because I didn't know or look at other operators, quote yes. unquote. You know, I, I knew other people in town that were already doing it. And so I had definitely done some of that research. But I really looked at Alberta more than anything. And WeWork wasn't, I mean, Alberta wasn't on the radar. I don't even know if they were in Canada at that point. If they okay. were, it was maybe Toronto or Montreal, one or right. two. So you did it more small. as a market analysis. Is this a threat? Is, is What's the opportunity? Totally. Okay. Yeah. Because we never, I never really thought, I honestly didn't expect us to specifically even grow to where we're at now. So I wasn't too worried about what was going on. Uh, from, from a larger perspective. Totally. Interesting. Because when I was reading a lot of their criteria, you know, there was a lot of real estate available. They came into the market. The market was in a position where landlords were looking for tenants. So they were very open to new ideas, which if I look back four or five years ago in Alberta, that feels like there would have been some parallels there in terms of where we were at as a market. I think so too. You know, I I don't know the very like the specifics of New York. I know that uh, right now vacancy is at virtually zero. Um, you know, but I'm sure it was more. Uh, I I doubt it was at you know 25, 30 percent right. like it Especially is here. Especially in New York, is always going to be a real estate shortage in New York. It seems like when you look at it historically, totally. Mm-hmm. But you know, they also took at the beginning. Uh, they weren't taking Class A buildings. You know, they were yes. taking less desirable spots, and that was one of their first ones. They took something that was you know kind not decrepit, but something that was kind of you know the cool industrial vibe that we all love now. Yes. You know, they Bef- were taking before that, that was cool to have the brick and it. the brick and beam. Totally. Yeah. Which like, is interesting. Now, if you don't have it, you're somehow not cool. <laughs> yeah. You're like, ah, oh, this is a boring office. So, oh, T-bar yeah. ceilings and normal HVAC. This is so lame. Why am I here? <laughs> a HVAC that actually works. Oh, that's so lame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and a, and a really young team behind it. Like I, I don't, there's not the two co-founders, one of them, Adam Neiman's the one you get a lot more. He's got a lot more media attention. Yeah. He was 30 years old at the time when he started this business. 
that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. that's what that's what I found doing my yeah. you know, basic research. And I also heard a lot of there's of course the stories are coming out, a lot of the talking points about some of the mismanagement. So I don't know, before we get into that and pointing fingers, they they got some momentum, they got some buzz, they became the new cool thing. They they Arguably, I read, got treated very much as that startup slash tech startup. SoftBank yep. came in with a whole bunch of money with the philosophy of this is going well. It'll only be better if we go faster yep. and get ahead of it. And it sounds to me like a very low degree of corporate governance. The inmates were kind of running the asylum, if you want that expression. <laughs> sure. Like, just go for it. Like, you can't do any wrong. They overextended. They got into business lines that weren't congruent. It sounded like they were doing a lot of really just like, hey, you've given us a lot of money and this seems to be working. We can't do any wrong. Let's try everything. Totally. I don't know. What, what's your optics on that? You know, I, I, I think that's right. They were given tons of money and they went with it. And now everybody is kind of talking shit on them for it. And I'm not saying they made a whole, like, every decision correctly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so many people say move fast, break things you know, go hard, shoot for the stars. Like, could they, like, are they not the epitome of that? Of that, yeah. And so now it's just like when things don't work out, we rake them over the coals for it. And so- It's a very good perspective. Right? I don't know. And so, and, you know, the maybe the people investing in them should have, I mean, they should have had some additional oversight or better checks and balances. It's easy to have a lot of shoulds now. Totally. Yeah, but at the time- you might be seen as actually holding back the process if you start to put in some of those quote-unquote governance regulations. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and I start to wonder, right? So we talk about SoftBank a little bit, and they put a ton of money into WeWork. They also put a ton of money into Uber, and they've put a ton of – they put a bunch of money into Slack. And, and then there's actually a few other companies. Uh, one is called Fair that does like automobile leasing, lending, yep. stuff like that. Yes. Um, and there's there's now – this consistent story that seems to be appearing from companies that SoftBank has put money into that have all grown too fast. They lack oversight. They're now going through major layoffs and restructurings and rescue investments. So what's the common denominator? That's interesting. I haven't, I hadn't strung all that together. Right. So I don't know. Right. I'm not saying that it's not WeWork's fault, Okay. but um, you know, you get, Billions and billions of dollars that says, keep doing what you're doing. Just do more of it. Just do it faster. So they went and did it. So I don't know. How do you, and how do you balance those two? And how do you balance out those two things? Because you're right. It's easy, always easy to look back and say, well, we shouldn't have done that or we, sh- or we should have done this. But at the time, no one was at the table saying that. Totally. And there's lots of stories like this. Whether you go back to the Enron days of, you know, the, that, I don't know if you saw the movie The Smartest Guys in the Room. Yeah. It's worth a watch if anyone hasn't seen it. Everyone was just on board. Even when they knew it wasn't going right, no one wanted to be the one who said, you know, we've all watched the Netflix as on the Fire Festival. If, if, you, if, you had a, if you had a negative idea, you were removed from the table because you were just being a naysayer. And, you know, we know how that ended up for anyone. If you haven't seen that documentary, it's entertaining. That's all I'm going to call it is entertaining. Go check, go check <laughs> it, it out. I think the biggest thing really is that that there's there's this lack from what at least from what we know right yes. from what we can see in the public eye and in terms of their uh, prospectus when they filed for their IPO it seems that there just isn't this clear path to profitability right. and I think that's just like a lack of business fundamentals in some way you know I think you know there is something to be said for losing money while scaling rapidly to gain yes. market share I think that's a like great strategy. If you have the money to back it, people are willing to put it in. 
that's great. But also when you get there, you know you're going to be where you are. That's it. Not just hope as a strategy. Yeah. So it's like how, you know, the thing that blew me away more than anything when they filed to go public, they said, yeah, we're losing all this money. We have all these uh, locations that are open. Uh, but look at these mature locations and look at their individual profitability and vacancy. So it's like we can realistically expect all these other ones that we're rapidly growing and losing on based on to timeline. perform like these ones in the past, but they never did that. And so that to me was the big worry is like, I'm like, that's the best pitch ever, right? If you can say, look at these five, 50 or it's whatever investor wants, they want proof. Yeah. And so it's like how, and to me, it's like if, what, you know, where my mind went is like, if you're not showing that, then that can't be, you must not want to show it for some reason. Yes. It wasn't, but you didn't forget. Right. And I think, and so yeah, that's, that's where like the basic fundamental business model is called into question because if you do have these locations that are open and are 98% full and they're not showing profitability for you to leverage in your pitch for the future, then how can you possibly turn it into a profit making machine? Because more of that same model is not going to all of a sudden all, one day wake up and be profitable. Exactly. So does that, what is that? So for me, when I bring this back to what, why is it current and critical? Because when I think of Calgary and I think of the impact that I believe your business has had, does this put any kind of a negative light on the co-working concept? Or is this literally, because we love to do that as humans. Yeah. Oh, this business went down. Co-working was a bad idea. See, I told you so. <laughs> I don't think that's the case, but I want to get your perspective on that. I think there's certainly people that are saying that. And as we're talking to potential new landlords and building owners for new deals, it, it totally comes up. I can only imagine it's creating more friction and obstacles for you. It is. But I think it's good because it's also creating more friction and obstacles for our competition. Ah, nice. You know? Well said. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, it's up to us to perform, right? I think it, it makes us do a better job. And that's a good thing. If we can't convince a building owner that this is a good deal, then that's, to me, that's on us. That's not on them or that's not on WeWork. Sure, it makes it a little bit harder, but that's okay. But you argue, but if you go back six months ago when the WeWork story was $47 billion evaluation, there might be some co-working spaces in Calgary that didn't have strong business fundamentals that got doors open for them because of this momentum that was there. Absolutely, yep. I think other people, and people would actually look at that and say, well, it's not WeWork, so I'll go with them. But now if people see or hear co-working, especially if they are a building owner that's not in uh, like institutional or office, you know, I think they could get a little bit more scared because they don't know about the ins and outs of it either. And, mm -hmm. you know, co-working is not all the same. You know, there's plenty of different ways to, to do the model. And so anyway, yeah, I do think it, it makes it a little bit more tricky, but I think it, it makes us perform and do well and be on our toes, and that's totally okay. Uh, in terms of WeWork in general, this is great because they've raised the profile uh, of what co-working, or at least the term co-working. Yes, they have. Right? Because they are in every you know business news, real estate news, tech news, like every news media, it's like they're talking about WeWork. And I think that that's great for us. Right. And so, um, you know, it's spoken like a true entrepreneur. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, it's honestly true. I think we need to be able to, um, show how we're different or show how we're special. Um, you know, so it's, but everything is this, this double edged sword. The output of having to try a little harder to me is never a bad thing. Yes. Yeah, Cause if exactly. you're not, if you're not in for that, then you should probably tap out. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
And what's what do you see in Alberta? Do you know how many? Do you know offhand how many co-working? And I know that's a pretty broad term. What what's the what's the competitive landscape in Alberta? They seem like they're popping up everywhere, and that's an overgeneralization from my front on my side. No, I think you're right, and I don't know. I don't know the numbers. Uh, Calgary at one point, semi recently, within the last like six to twelve months, the count from uh, Startup Calgary, which is Calgary Economic Development. Yes. Uh, they've said there was like 40 or something in Calgary. Just in Calgary. Yeah. Interesting. And in my opinion, some of those are more shared office versus co-working. Which if you're curious of the difference, go back and listen to Alex's episode on They Just Get It, where we get very clear of what's shared (laughs) office space and what is co-working. Not the same, everybody. Totally. In my opinion. Yes. And And I'm I'm on drinking your Kool-Aid on this one. Thank you. (laughs) But yeah, and, uh, and it's way different in... Uh, in Edmonton, right, we have a spot up there, and there's you know much less okay. competition there, and we have the opportunity to educate the market, which I think is quite cool. Um, so their first interaction with co-working is with you. Yeah, and I think that's one of the trickiest things right now is like as there is this you know huge explosion of um, of people opening and calling stuff co-working is that some people might end up somewhere that don't do a great job. Okay. And that is the co- their co-working story, right? So they hear about work nice, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I did that once, and it wasn't great." Or they, you know, they closed down, or they did whatever. Oh, it's like ours. I I did a, I I, po- I ran an ad once, and it didn't work. So marketing is bullshit. I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> um, maybe. Like, I've, I've heard that in a meeting from CEO. Well, we did a campaign once. I'm like, tell me what that was. Well, we run an ad in some trade publication, and we didn't like sales numbers didn't go up. So marketing is a waste of time. I'm like, okay, wow. well, let's. Okay, I don't even know. Maybe we shouldn't be hanging out. <laughs> that is so insane to me that yeah. somebody could even think that. Like, yeah. Confirmation bias is real. <laughs> I had one bad experience. It's all bullshit. <laughs> I could see somebody saying, hey, yeah, I ran a print ad once and it didn't work. Um, not to say that that's right either. Of course. But I can yeah. sort of understand that perspective. But to be like, I ran this once and marketing doesn't work. Like, And what? we're in a town that sometimes marketing hasn't been the first, like, you know, uh, tool they reach for in, 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 in the toolkit. So, so I'm familiar with the, I had one bad experience. So it's the broad brush comes out. Oh, that's and that's where, when I heard this and why I immediately I was sitting there on the weekend, I wanted to chat with you about it. Cause I'm like, wow, does this paint a negative picture on something that I personally feel is needed in our city? As we move through this transformation, we have more startups and companies looking to take the idea out of the basement, take it out in the real world. And whether it's platform or startup Calgary, organizations like you, I think it's critical in that ecosystem. So I was very concerned that this was going to have a negative impact that I believe was damaging. Mm. Yeah, I think I think if there are people out there not doing a great job, it could. But I think okay. that's not on them or that situation. I think it's on I think it's on the operator. On that individual operator. Yeah, I think, you know, from our perspective, you know, we we know the people running we work here locally and we are very cordial, we get along great. Okay. And we've had people that are coming in and looking at uh at where they're going to put their new home for their business and you know, more people are considering we work obviously because they're going to be opening soon here and some people say I thought about we work and because of all this I am not interested. And we've had other people say, you know what? This is an opportunity. Maybe go get leverage and get a better deal because they need people. Uh, I appreciate the opportunistic side of it. Totally. You know? That's um, fair. Yeah. So I think it goes both ways. And at the same time, I think if, you know, people could, people could come to us and it's a, WorkNice is the perfect place for them. And there's going to be other companies where they maybe should go to WeWork. 
And that's a perfect place for them too. And that's okay. I do think that there is enough room for everybody. We talked about that on the previous yes, uh, episode that you and I did. Um, and I still think that's true, even if uh, WeWork opens up 10 floors of space here. Because it's a different, for sure. Everyone has their own take on it. Well, and, and, keep, the, yeah, uh, and sorry, and no, keep, go ahead. keeping in mind, I mean, uh, the last numbers that came up for WeWork, 43% of their client base are enterprise customers. So That's companies with 500 or more employees make up 43% of their business, let alone the companies that are, you know, 100 to 499. Yeah, yes. Right? And so and we can, you know, we can handle some big teams, you know, we've got 20, 30 people on teams and as we grow, we can accommodate more, but you know, we can't accommodate teams of 100, right? And so, you know, but that's that's just a it's a totally different that's a totally different client. It's interesting. And you know, if you look at any market segment, you know, Coke always had Pepsi and McDonald's always had, they made the market bigger because they both existed totally. and, and they got more people aware. And I think you said like, there's no such thing as bad publicity sometimes, but <laughs> having that out there and having this co-working concept, arguably it would have got on people's radar of like, what, what even is that? And if it forced them to lean in, that's not a bad thing either. Totally. Well, and I think too, if they can, survive and turn the model around and figure this out, then, then there is nothing they can't overcome. Oh yeah, you're right. The other side of this looks really good if you get through it. If you don't, then there's probably going to be a lot of people lose a lot of money and be very disappointed in the process. But that wouldn't be the first big, you know, rags to riches story that went, you know, rags to riches to rags. Again, that's very real. (laughs) So last question, when you look at Calgary globally, but we're focusing on Calgary right now in this conversation, where do you see the, where do you see coworking going? Is there any trends? And I know you and I chatted offline. There's been a few that have opened in the last year have closed. So is that part of the trend where there's going to be a bit of a market leveling going on? What do you see? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think that it's going to be very similar to the beer industry. Okay. There was this huge explosion here in Alberta of craft breweries. Uh, Investors and banks were lining up to throw money at this stuff to open them up. And that's great for awareness. Everyone was trying new beers they never had before. Uh, The industry, in that industry, it creates a ton of jobs within the province and the country. And, but the reality is, is that some of those are not going to be great operators or they're not going to make great beer or they're not going to have the business fundamentals in place and they're going to close uh, capital will tighten up and then people other people who are amazing either beer makers or uh, business owners or operators are going to be able to scoop some of those up at a, at a lower price or what have you when they may not have otherwise been able to open before and then raise the playing field or like increase or raise the bar. Sorry. Yes. Um, and I think that's going to happen. I think in the last year, uh, yeah, some people that we are friends with are no longer open okay. and that's a bummer. Um, because but, but it is part of the, the capital market process that we work in where it, it, if you provide good value, I was in, I think I maybe joked about this. I was in Japan a few years ago and I asked somebody, I said, what's, how do I know what restaurants are good? He's like, what do you mean? I said, how do you know which ones are good? He goes, well, if they're open, they're good. Because in Japan, <laughs> if they're not good, no one goes and they close in a week. I'm like, that is an amazing filter. That is <laughs> For amazing, like, If it's actually. open, it's good. Because if not, the market will not tolerate subpar anything. Oh, that's and so I, interesting. And that to me, that is ultimate. The market will tell you whether you're good enough or not. See, and, and that's, that is the reality. And that's, this is not unique to this industry at all. Yes. And I think if you look at even restaurants, right? Restaurants, downtown Calgary, uh, in the last five, 10 years, as uh, less people go downtown, 
I feel like before you could open up any restaurant, any bar, any pub. Oh, five, six years ago, absolutely. Right? Didn't matter how good you were, how good the food was, how how bad the service was, or how not matter, good the food was, or right? how good the service was. But now it's people are only going to go places that are good. So it's yeah. the same thing you just said, and but we're seeing that happen here. Um, but that'll happen with any any industry, right? Uh, with co working, I still believe the biggest issue is awareness, but. You know, you've still got to be good at what you do if you want to survive. Back to, back to the fundamentals. Mm. Yeah. And that was interesting. When I saw this story, I was like, wow, is this going to turn people off it? I like your perspective of it. It actually did the, it might do the opposite. It might make more people curious and go, whoa, what is this thing I'm going to look in? Wow. Okay. Here's, this was a cool drama. We all love a drama story. <laughs> we all love the big Cinderella falling off, the, yep. uh, that falling down. But if it brings people's awareness to it, and at the same time, the market is going through its own transition from being a relatively new, unknown, to be more of a staple of our community, mm-hmm. the good operators get to rise above. So so I'm hearing this now as a good story for you versus what I potentially thought at first it might be a bad story. Yeah, I, I think um, from a growth, larger perspective, conversations with landlords or lenders or investors might become more difficult. Um which again, I think that uh, I legitimately, I think that's an okay thing, right? We've got to be able to prove that we can hold our own. Sharpen, sharpen the pencil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think from a perception, perception perspective, uh, the you know twenty four hour news cycle exists for a reason. You know, uh, WeWork seems to constantly be popping up in the news cycle, but I think that that will eventually change. People forget uh, far too quickly sometimes. There'll be a new train wreck for us to pay attention to, absolutely. (laughs) But in the past couple of weeks, it's been very real. And we love big numbers that we can't even, what's 47 billion? How do you even grasp what that number is? But 47 to 5, even if you don't put billion after it, that's a fairly significant drop. (laughs) So you got my attention. You know, we're burning $200,000 an hour and all the crazy stories that are out there. My concern was, is this a, is this showing up a crack in the armor of the co-working space, or is this just another corporate story where things there was too much money, things got a bit nutty, and things went wrong? That's what I'm hearing more from you. That it's exactly that. Mm-hmm. I believe so. You know, institutionally, large landlords, big buildings, all that stuff that will change for a long time. The general consensus, I believe, still is that this concept of flexible workspace isn't going away. I think the primary issue with with WeWork really isn't the product or service that they're selling. It's it's the business that underpins that whole thing. Right? And so I think that even most building owners and landlords agree that there's going to be this additional offering that's never existed before. How that gets deployed or rolled out and who does it, I think remains to be seen. Right. It's but, st- it is still early days and the, 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 the industry or as a service or as an option is finding its way. Totally. Um, you know, I think it's between two and 5% of office space and it depends where you look and for how long and what have you, but generally two to 5% of office space is currently this flexible space or, or oh, interesting number. space. And a lot of people believe it's going to go to 20 or 30%. Hmm. You know, I don't know if I'll get that big. That's a really, really, really That's big number. Again, when you look at it at the total, but if you look at everything, we want we want to share cars, we want to share apartments with people we don't know on the other side of the world. Like that is where we're moving to. Yep. So if you look at, we always when we're doing marketing and branding for companies, we like what are the cultural trends that are already happening sure. that your business can align with? Because yep. to create a cultural trend, that's a big undertaking. But to look at where people are moving and then just show, just see when, and then of course you bring digital into it. How's digital and that concept going to disrupt another industry? Mm. This is how 
was disrupting the commercial real estate space for sure. Uh, completely. And I love that you compare that to all the other things because this isn't any different than whatever else we're sh- – or sorry, whatever else we're sharing as a, as a collective society. Which is exponentially community. increasing. Totally. And that won't go away, uh, I think, for a long time. It'll probably at some point hit some peak and then it'll – you know, decline. I mean, that's just the way that markets go. Yes. And that's just, yeah. you know, so. So it keeps it interesting what creates new opportunities. Yeah. For guys like you and I going, huh, what's happening over there? Maybe we should go check it out. Yeah. So I, what I hear is co-working is here to stay. WeWork is a great story if you want to go check out, <laughs> you know, a, a real <laughs> case of uh, we rent, we got some money and we did what you asked us and it didn't work out at the end. But check it out. There's lots to be learned from it. And I think that story is yet to, that story's not done yet. It's still no. it's still being told. We're just right in the drama of the story right now. Like the the heroes of the story have have now are trying to overcome the dragon or you know, the typical story mantra. Totally. It's a it is very interesting. It's going to be case studied. It's gonna be in textbooks and there is a ton to learn from it. I believe whether you're in real estate, co working or otherwise, I think govern I mean, there's stuff that I learned even from a governance perspective. That I found interesting because, um, you know, one of the co-founders got, you know, in hot water for owning some of the buildings that he was then leasing back oh, so to WeWork. Look, looks like you're playing both sides of the fence. Yeah. And to me, I mean, we've considered that. Not that we own buildings now. It's not part of our model. But if it was the right building, I thought, why wouldn't I go uh, raise some money to buy it privately, mm-hmm. lease it back to the company, and then down the road, you can sell one or the other or what have you or leverage each other. One of the oldest strategies in the business book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, really. And for some reason, you know, he got in tons of trouble over Publicly that. traded. Maybe didn't disclose. Yep. You know, there's a lot of things. But you're right. As entrepreneurs, sometimes we also have blind spots that we don't mm-hmm. know about. And, they, and your blind spots can actually get you in trouble in the real world. Totally. I do think, though, you know, in that situation, he, you know, the, that's what he got in trouble for was owning buildings and leasing them back. Uh, I think the bigger problem is that he borrowed money from WeWork for basically free, then bought the buildings and Ouch. leased them back. That's a mm, different story. Yes, I did read a little bit about that. The plot thickens. So then, when right. you talk about how are you managing the shareholders' money and you know corporate response, f- fiscal responsibility, there's a lot of black marks on that story. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Alex, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate being on the first episode of Current and Critical because this is absolutely current and I believe it is Critical Art City. You left me with a little peace of mind that this is this is a one-off story. We will hear different versions of it again, but yep. co-working is here to stay. And um, again, my kudos to you for the operation that you run in town and for what I think is absolutely an essential service for our city going forward. Thank you so much. That's very kind. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. You bet.